Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies, on this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Dr. Tracy Kemble. She's an entrepreneur and a women's empowerment expert with over 30 years of experience in teaching life transformation. And today we're going to be talking about her latest book, The Narctionary. It's a narcissist abuse recovery dictionary. This comprehensive dictionary has a reference for over 350 words definitions and terms related to narcissism, narcissistic abuse, narcissistic trauma, and narcissistic recovery. Now, Tracy is also the founder of the Win Foundation, a nonprofit that specializes in abuse recovery, and she has the International Feminine Boss Academy and Society, which is a learning center where she's teaching women how to manifest their life with feminine energy. And so in this fun podcast, we're going to be talking about narcissism. We're going to be talking about how that impacts women. In this episode, Tracy and I are going to be talking about what is narcissism? How does it show up in your life? And how can you recover if you have been affected by a narcissist? Now we're going to be talking all about self-love, self-empowerment, things of that nature. Tracy's fabulous. Let's introduce you to Dr. Tracy Kemble. Dr. Tracy, welcome to the Health Fix Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So, of course, my first question has to always be, how did you come about to realizing that you might have a few or many narcissists in your world? Well, I think I, I, it didn't, the answer didn't come easy. I didn't wake up one day and have professionals say, by the way, you know, this is narcissism. What happened with me is that I reached levels of my life where um, I was suffering from so many um, emotional uh, and physical ailments that, you know, I began to seek help and, when I went into therapy uh, and the therapist says to me, okay, why are you here? The answer that the only answer I can give her was because my brain feels like mush and I'm, I feel invisible. And at that stage of my life, I, I was in chronic pain, um, locked joints, um, it, it just a, it was just a very awful, awful low moment of my life. And as my awareness began to unfold, suddenly, um, after uh, time, and keep in mind that when I first went in for help and recovery, the words such as narcissistic abuse, narcissistic abuse, trauma, none of that even existed. And uh, eventually it got a name. And eventually I was able to begin healing from this journey. Uh, The way that I got myself into it is, and I will preface this by saying, I love my father. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's done the best that he can, but my father has narcissism. And so the personality trait of somebody with narcissism was very normalized to me. I thought it was a normal behavior for people to act this way. So I was for many years defenseless to the toxicity and the danger of a a true narcissistic 
personality. And the reason that I say true is because most everyone is throwing around this word. Um, you know, they're a narcissist, they're a narcissist, they're a sociopath, they're a psychopath, but there are very specific characteristics that a narcissist has and a sociopath has and a psychopath has. Um, that makes it going from a person who's having a bad day or a very difficult person to somebody who is causing trauma and wounds in another, in another person's life. You know, I think that's a great message that you put up there about there's many different ways people are throwing around the word. And I think it's almost become, you know, for someone to hear it, it's almost like you're calling me in narcissist because we associate it with when someone's angry and when someone is saying you're associate, you know, do they, they, we just kind of clump it into all of these things. So would you kind of give us, because I love the fact that you have the dictionary that's, that's related to narcissism guys. This is her book. I mentioned before narctionary, which is awesome. And, and I would really love for folks to hear the, the definition of narcissism so that folks can understand truly like what we're talking about. Cause I, I imagine that we have different twisted ways in our heads of thinking about what the word means and truly the definition. So this is kind of a two part answer. The, the first thing is that, you know, the word narcissism, it's not a bad word. It's simply an is word. And the reason that I say that is each and every one of us needs what's called healthy narcissism in order to maintain our, ourself in this in this world that we live in healthy narcissism it lives right here in front of us and that's something within us that lets us keep the good in and put the bad out so we all need this and that's why this can be so confusing is that narcissism is a spectrum disorder it's not like being pregnant you're not like a little either you are or you're not all of us have elements of narcissism so healthy narcissism is here um, and then as it moves on up the scale, which is higher tendencies, um, you're dealing with somebody that has what's called high narcissistic characteristics. And this is just a very difficult person. As it continues to move on up the scale, it then goes into narcissistic personality disorder. And this is a very dangerous person where they're starting to cause trauma and wounds to people. And then as it moves on up the scale, it goes into antisocial personality disorder, which is, um, you know, sociopath and psychopath. And so people are just using these words, but let me put it in really layman's uh, terms. Well, first, non-layman's. A narcissist is somebody who they, they are emotionally stunted individuals. They are extremely self-centered and they um, rely on the reactions of outside people to make them feel valid or visible. Um, the, a, a narcissist has the mental capacity, the emotional capacity, excuse me, the emotional capacity of about a three-year-old. And the reason that I use that as an example is, have you ever seen a three-year-old throw a temper tantrum when they didn't get their way? And the answer is absolutely. Well, what you're dealing with in uh, an adult narcissist is a 
is, and I actually, it's in my book under the A's adult temper tantrums is uh, it's an adult who is not getting their way in life. And so therefore they will throw these temper tantrums and do whatever they want to other people to get their needs met. And the degree that they have that the, the, the degree and the depth of their belief system is what separates them from being somebody who's just having a bad day in an off moment, all the way up the scale to um, being a sociopath or a psychopath. Okay. Okay. So very expansive in terms of the degrees. And, and I think for my background, let me give you a little, guys, a little background on me. My mom was a psych nurse. And so she kind of created her own um, versions of what things meant. And so I grew up thinking that narcissism really meant when you were boastful, really. That's kind of <laughs> what I thought. Well, and, okay. and so what you've described right now for me, and of course, you know, through my medical training too, I, I, I took, we had to look at the DSM four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, wherever we're at these days. Um, but I, I never really thought I guess I probably, and this is something we should talk about. I still always held on to what she told me about it. It was kind of like my wiring in my brain. And so from hearing your story about dad and hearing how you, you were growing up in this environment, I'm wondering, you know, how many folks have a lot of un undoing to do in terms of unwiring from the whole behavior that narcissism kind of brings into their life. Yeah, it's it's um it, it takes years to get us very very tangled, and it takes um, some very concentrated healing to untangle because you're talking about trauma wounds and trauma wounds run deep. It depends on how long you've been around the person with the condition, and um, it depends on your history as to how you have been exposed to it or not. I mean, for me, it was normalized. And, and so I didn't recognize, you know, the way that I describe it is uh, when I look back on my life is it's as though I had my, my hands on, on the stovetop and I was tolerating just intolerable things and people would come to me and they'd say, doesn't that hurt? <laughs> Excuse me. And I would say, yeah. And they would say, D don't you want to take your hand off? And my response was, can I? Because I had been around it for so long, I didn't know that I had the power to take my life back uh, from another person. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge statement, taking your power back from another person. I think a lot of us, especially women, we fall into the relationships that we have either with our father or mother. And then we, we almost, it's, it's almost like, magnetic that we go to another relationship just like that or yeah, because we normalize it i mean we're just doing normal we're doing normal love though it's not love we're doing normal relations but you know part of healing is is learning to redefine normal that's huge that's huge so before we jumped on we had, i had talked a little bit about a lot of my podcast listeners are in their, you know, 35, 45 plus and women in particular and, and how there's this sense that I keep seeing over and over again of, of women who can't seem to lose weight. 
have high cortisol levels or really low cortisol levels and their hormones are all over the place and we're struggling to get them in balance. And when I ask, you know, how's, how's life? Oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. That t-shirt that I always refer to <laughs> is that life's great. Everything's great. And then when we dive deeper into relationships, I find that sometimes I start to think, could there be something going on with the narcissism in within the relationship? And so if some women are listening right now and, and maybe they don't have the greatest relationship with their significant other, and they're wondering, would I be experiencing stress from my relationship? What would you say to them? What could they start looking at? What could they explore? What, what would be first steps? Well, the first thing I want to say is that that's exactly what happened to me is, um, and it's very true that when your stressors go up, it not only um, affects your cortisol levels and you will just have this weight that you cannot take off, but it will, it will um, affect your acute stressors in your brain that, you know, expose stress to uh, narcissistic abuse actually changes the hypothalamus in your brain and it puts you in a constant um, fight or flight mode. I mean, there are many biological tragedies that come and traumas that come from living in the ongoing stress of a narcissistic relationship. Um, the, the difficulty with narcissism, and I'm going to give you two really quick things to hold on to. The very first one is that narcissistic relationships are oftentimes difficult to accept because of the fact that when they start, they start with a flurry. They start with what's called the love bombing and where this person, um, when they identify you and they're actually called their target, they convince you to believe that you are the best thing that's ever entered into their life. And they will put you up on that pedestal and, and gift you things. And they make you what are called, you know, false promise and false, false, false futuring. And, and they literally onboard you like a cult member. Um, the goal that they're doing is they're trying to get you you dependent on them so that you will in turn give them something that's called narcissistic fuel. So there's definitely an end goal that they're going after. Well, what happens is that about anywhere from a few months up to two years, that suddenly the narcissist will change and they'll go from somebody who adored you to somebody who abhors you. And they've entered into the second phase of the narcissistic cycle. And then you're stuck because you keep trying to go back and make the relationship good again. I mean, it was there. We had it. We had the great sex. We had the romantic vacations. We had the gifts we had. Where is that? And I'm trying to do all the same things that I used to, but I'm not getting that happy, that happy partner back. And, and so this is the trap that you get in. And uh, Melody Beatty, she wrote the book, Codependent No More. She tells a story in her book, an analogy in her book. She says that, that when you take a frog and you put it in boiling water, it will jump out to save its life. But if you take a frog and you put it in lukewarm water and slowly bring up the heat, what will happen is that the frog will, will boil to death. Why? Because it lost its sense of danger. And this is what happens in narcissistic relationships is that we, we lose the ability to sense to sense the danger that we are in because it started little by little by little by little by little and before you know it we have become normalized to living in the chaos there was um uh 
a healing story that somebody shared with me once. And it was a big eye opener to me about the state of my relationship. And it was about a man who he had a wife and his wife was terrified of, of, of clowns. And everywhere that this man went, he would always walk into the room first and make sure there's no clowns in the room. And one day somebody stopped him and they're like, dude, what are you doing? You know that clowns are just dolls. They don't hurt anyone. I mean, why do you make such a big deal as to, you know, making sure there's no freaking clowns in the room? And he looked at this person who was challenging him and he said, because the love of my life is scared of clowns. And if I can protect her one day from being afraid, I will do that. And when I heard that, I took pause because I thought I'm with somebody who sets up clowns in the room. And then when the clowns are in the room and I get scared, they call me weak or cowardly or that I need to grow up or that I'm imagining that there's clowns. And so if you're with somebody, the moral of that story is if you're with somebody who in, in your weaknesses is not helping you become a better, stronger person or helping to make life safe. I'm not talking about you being a codependent and you not being responsible for your life, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about the general um, elements of love, keeping your partner safe. If you don't feel safe in your relationship, every single moment, even within arguments, then you're dealing with somebody who's problematic. And you need to get out of the water. Hmm. I think that's huge. The statement of feeling safe, because this is what I want people to connect that your vagus nerve senses that. And this is where the fight or flight system kind of stays in stress mode. What kind of things did you experience while you were in that relationship or even with, with your father, what kind of feelings did you have of not feeling safe? Like what kind of would show up in your body? What kind of things? And I know you mentioned weight, what other things happened? Well, I mean, I, I suffered from ongoing, um, well, I, I now call it narcissistic abuse, narcissistic induced depression, because what I realized is that when I wasn't getting tased by the narcissist, that my moods wouldn't fluctuate up and down. <laughs> um, I'm a pretty stable person if I'm not getting tased all the time. Um, I had chronic anxiety because, you know, what the narcissist does is the narcissist will, the, one of their very first tricks that they do, their shenanigans, their abuses, is that they they want to convince you that life without them is, uh, the world will swallow you up. And so they make you feel very powerless and, and afraid in life, afraid financially, afraid emotionally, afraid to step out on your own. And so I had just a constant level of fear, the fear of failure, the fear of outside, the fear of this, the fear of that, which sent me back to relying, relying on another person, um, an emotionally unstable person, uh, for my balance. I had all sorts of physical problems. I mean, I had chronic migraine syndrome. I had chronic back spasms. I had chronic constipation. Um, I, you know, with the sexual trauma that goes with living with a narcissist and, you know, people automatically, you know, think of trauma as, you know, uh, violent sex or something of that nature. You don't have to be traumatized by sex and in, in something like that, that, you know, the sexual trauma can come with somebody who's a perpetual treat, cheater 
Or the flip side of that is somebody who sexually abandons the relationship. And um, that is a huge form of, of sexual betrayal in a relationship. And so when somebody is, is um, you know, implementing all those things or perpetrating all those things in your life, this is when uh, the, it, your, body, your body talks to us, you know, our body tells us what's happening with us emotionally. And I was dizzy and that's because, you know, life was spinning out of control. I, I couldn't see well, or, you know, my vision went bad really, really fast. And that's because I couldn't, you know, I didn't have clarity in life, um, chronic back problems because I didn't have any stability in my life. My, my body spoke to me really loud. Wow. Wow. I think a lot of people can, can resonate with, with those symptoms. They're ones that I see quite often when things are spinning out of control. So obviously you've moved forward from that. You've discovered self-love. You're working on recovery. Let's move into talking about some positive stuff. Okay. In particular, the self-love side of things, because a lot of times when I first started to talk about self-love with patients, I usually get that like either deer in the headlights or, oh no, she's going to talk about this kind of reaction. And even myself, I, at first, you know, I realized probably like five years ago that there was this thing called self-love. Like I, I yeah. actually don't think I even realized that this was a possibility. Lots of self-hate, you know, in, in my past. And so I'd love to hear how you discovered falling in love with yourself again. Oh my gosh. Well, this is a, again, this is a two-part journey, but it's like <laughs> one of my most exciting things to talk about. All right. Because I really believe that, you know, I, I, I like to do these things called one thing I know. And one thing I know is that it is a non-negotiable not to have self-love because self-love is your power tool, your super tool, your almost your only tool that you need to have a successful life and a happy life. So I'll tell you that um, I, I'm, I'm a highly spiritual person and um, I spend time every day in prayer and meditation. And during my prayer and meditation, I, I get what I call my great divine downloads. So one day I'm in my prayer and I'm my meditation and all of a sudden this, I get a download and it says soul question. And I said, what's a soul question? So I went to Google and I checked out Google and not even Google knew what a soul question was. So I'm like, okay, I know what's happening here. So in my next prayer meditation time, I'm like, all right, you got me. What's a soul question? And the answer that came over me was, a soul question is the question that our soul comes to this existence with that we're supposed to spend a lifetime unfolding and unwrapping like a gift so that we've discovered who we are, what we're supposed to be in life. So I took a step back and I looked at my life and what I, what I realized is that with all my pain and with all my trauma, there was something really clear that just came to the surface. And my sole question was, what does it mean to authentically love yourself? Because I had spent a lifetime not loving myself and coming from a narcissistic childhood and living with narcissists as an adult, the concept of self-love and then a religious background on top of that, this concept of self-love was anywhere from you are not supposed to do that. That is like near nearly a sin to if self-love equals behaving that way in life, I don't want it. So I began this amazing journey 
to discovering what authentic self-love is. And so, um, in fact, the and I'll, now I'm going to turn it back to the narcissism and answer one of the most important questions when it comes to recovery. We were talking about the spectrum earlier. Remember when I said narcissism is on a spectrum? We talked about healthy narcissism, and then we talked about uh, the uh, narcissistic tendency or bad day. Narciss- we have a bad day, and we talked about narcissistic tendencies and antisocial personality, sociopath, psychopath. We never touched on the opposite end of the spectrum. So guess what's at the opposite end of narcissistic, the polar opposite of narcissistic personality disorder, a condition that is called self-love deficiency disorder. And so one day, amazing, huh? So one day in my recovery, and you know, when you're in narcissistic abuse recovery, you're like, your focus is at the narcissist, you know, how to get them to change, how to understand them, how to get messages through to their soul, blah, blah, blah. And it's exhausting. And one day I just had this insight that I said, what if I get my, my eyes off the narcissist and I strictly focus on healing my self-love deficiency disorder? And that one choice right there was a complete game changer to me. And I built my entire recovery program, which it's a one-year curriculum program. It takes place twice a week, um, East Coast and West Coast time in a live classroom. And I built it that every week when we come to class, that we lay down one plank in our foundation of self-love. Because our goal in life is to build a steely foundation under our emotional feet. And so my program is all about, I identify 48 different planks because self-love looks like a boardwalk where it's, it's a series of planks that laid side by side and create that steely foundation of self-love. If we only had one plank, we kind of are going to be like a tight rope walker. But if we have many planks, if one goes down on a bad day or a weird situation kind of gets under our skin, we have the other planks to hold us up. We're not going to slip through like we used to when we didn't have that foundation of self-love. And so my program is all about laying down those 48 different planks of self-love. And when you have those planks in place, what happens is that energetically self-love deficiency disorder and narcissism are on the same plane. They're the polar opposites of each other. When you create that foundation of self-love, you vibrationally raise up to a higher place in being a narcissism and it just can't, it just doesn't align in your life anymore. You just, you, you, you can be around it and you're like, man, I just can't drink this Kool-Aid anymore. I got to go. And um, I'm in love with the topic of self-love. It's it just, it was a game changer for me. I think it definitely is. And, and I'll be honest, like I'm only really in the first couple of years of discovering it, like I mentioned. And, and before, I think I did live in the land of thinking that loving myself was narcissistic, as I mentioned before, because my mom mm-hmm. kind of put it out there like, well, if you say, you know, nice things to yourself like that, then or other people that, you know, you're being boastful and that's narcissist. So I think I held back quite a bit for many years. Do you find that I'm... I'm unique or or is this similar? Do a lot of women kind of have that feeling of if I love myself, I'm kind of being selfish or I'm kind of being. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens a lot. You know, um, we are not born 
um, self-loveless individuals, we are taught how not to love ourselves. And, you know, if you look at a baby, the baby's in love with its fingers and its toes and it giggles and it has no insecurities. Um, it can it can experience some fear, but they don't not love themselves. We are taught not to love ourselves, which means that we can then teach ourselves how to love ourselves. But it's important to know, you know, when you talk about self-love, what is really the definition of self-love? Does it mean, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror and enjoying what you have? Does it mean getting your, your butt in perfect shape so those jeans hit? Well, what happens if your butt drops? What happens if you're having a bad hair day or your skin breaks out or you get older and your face changes? What happens then? You're going to step out of love of yourself? This is too unstable. So for me, my definition of self-love is the conscious relationship that I choose to have with myself. And every day making conscious choices, choices as to how I treat myself, how I talk to myself, how I care for myself, how I allow myself to enjoy life, how I develop my mind, it's a, who I expose myself to, how I protect myself. Do you see? So it's the conscious relationship that I choose to have with myself. And that's my personal definition of self-love. I think it's a great one. You've got a lot of different elements there where a lot of people I'll see, you know, like hashtag self-love and we've got someone in the bathtub with a glass of wine, which yes, doing nice things for yourself, taking time to relax can be great. But I think we're, we are still forgetting as a society, the, the mind aspects, like you said, the, the protection of yourself and things of that nature. Boundaries, I think are another big one with women and myself included. Yeah. Well, I don't think that you can have love without boundaries. <clears throat> that's 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 a really good point that's a really good point um and one that I think a lot of women you know boundaries but also kind of when to say no we we tend to want to take care of everyone else but ourselves I would love to hear how you explored that journey in in your own world of being able to say no, set boundaries and, and kind of create the protection that you needed for yourself to take care of you. Well, it was, it didn't come easy, you know, learning to set boundaries was um, it, it, it came in phases of my life. Uh, the first thing that I, I had to learn was that I had the right to set boundaries. I didn't, I didn't even have that programming in me that, you know, I came from the background, you know, first off, if you're with a narcissist, you're not allowed to say no, um, without punishment. Um, and so to me, no became a bad word and no became a punishing word that if I say no, this doesn't feel right. Somebody's going to abandon me. And this is a really painful message to have. Um, and then after that, you know, I, I, I came from a very strict religious background where the messaging was, um, you know, if, if somebody in there, I remember my mom, when I was older in life, I was exposing myself again and again to, to painful relationships. And she says, why do you, why do you keep 
you know, allowing that person to come back and hurt you. And I'm like, well, because we're, we're told to, you know, turn the other cheek. <laughs> and my mom said, well, how many cheeks did God give you? You know, <laughs> two, one, two, they're out. And, you know, and little things like that became my boundary reminders is, and then I had to work on the fact that my self value um, which that's one of our self-love planks is, is the value of self and learning that, that I have, I have value. I have, um, the, the right to protect. Um, I didn't know that I had that right to protect myself when I learned that I do have that right to protect myself. Um, so it, it came in a whole series of things, but at the end of the day, the one thing that I learned is that, you know, my, my big message growing up was no, was no is an awful word. No is a rejecting word. No makes people go away. But what I've since learned is that that's all wrong programming. No is a love word. No keeps the good in and the bad out. No, when you put that boundary up, lets you know who really, really loves you. And um, this one time in, in, in my prayer and meditation time, I got this amazing, um, this amazing vision. And in this vision, I was in a tunnel. And it was dark. And at the very end of the tunnel, there was this light. And I was going through the tunnel. You know how like dreams are. And, and I'm, I'm anxious about something. And I'm walking towards it. And I'm anxious. And I'm anxious. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And then what I realized, you know how dreams are. What I realized suddenly is that, oh, my gosh, I am about to emerge in life and come out as my authentic self. Who's going to be waiting for me at the tunnel? Who is going to accept that person that's coming out? This person that has my own opinions and my own thoughts. Who is, is my mom going to be there? Is my dad going to be there? I mean, do I have anybody who really loves the authentic me? And what I, what I learned at that very moment, you know, when, when I understood what, what the vision meant was it is so important in our life for our stability, for our mental health, for our joy, for our happiness to know who really loves us. And unless we have people in our life that we can put up healthy boundaries, no, that, you know, that doesn't work for me and they don't abandon you. Those people really love you. They'll say, okay, all right. <laughs> but those who say like, well, I'm not going to get my way. I have to go. They don't really love you. And it's better to know earlier than later who really authentically loves you. That's huge. That's huge. I mean, I could look at that in, in, very, in multiple different directions, even in my life, since I have my frame of reference, of course, but I think a lot of people can see that right now and go, hmm, I wonder, I wonder, you know, I kind of wish and, and hope maybe that that some women who are listening to this right now might be playing this while their teenagers are listening, because dang, if I was like, well, even 11 and heard this. I feel like it could have changed a lot of things for me. Yeah. I think that, you know, in, in our schools and in our, um, in our schools that they, they teach us some things that we really don't need to know. And I think one of the things that would be so beneficial is if we started teaching our kids from the ground up, what does it mean to love yourself? What does self-value mean? And, and bringing back the, you know, putting a little tap on the brakes of what I think is causing 
pandemic levels of narcissism, which is, you know, so many kids believe that their value is, is found in how many likes they get on social media, in, in how pretty they are, in um, how many people are, are clapping and, and thumbs upping them. <laughs> and this is, this is a, a foundation that's going to fall. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge problem. And, and I think this is great that you're, you know, speaking out about all of this and, you know, one of the things that I, I'd like to kind of go back to, cause you had said at the beginning that your dad was kind of your trigger. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he was the narcissist in your life. And you said, I, I don't hate him. And what is, no, your- I love him. I love yeah. his joy. Tell, tell us about that because I, I'd love to come full circle on this. Cause a lot of folks feel like if there's someone that's narcissistic in their life, they have to ditch them, um, completely and never speak to them again and never, you know, communicate. And I'd love to hear how you, you worked with that relationship. So the way that I worked with it is that, um, first off, it didn't happen overnight. Let me just tell you that it did not happen overnight that, um, in, in the world of recovery, you often hear people, um, say, you know, no contact. And that's, that's in the book. You can read what no contact means. And what no contact means is no contact that when you get that narcissist out of your life, it's no contact. So this is ideal with somebody that you have the ability to delete from your life and never look back. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in certain situations, it could be a parent, it could be a sibling, it could be somebody you work with. It could be um, a mate that you have children with an ex mate that you have children with There's it could be a parent. There, there are certain relationships that complete no contact is not an option. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of my recovery, I had to go through a season where I had to step back from my father because I was not strong enough to be in his presence without taking his actions personal. You see? So I had to get enough healing in me to be able to open the door. So I had a very distant relationship, you know, like for example, I would leave a voice message for him um, on his phone. Um, and then if I would see him call, I would let him leave a voice message for me. Um, I, I probably physically saw him like only six months, um, every six months. And I would have an exit plan in place. You know, I knew that we, we can last probably about an hour and then he's going to maybe start misbehaving in ways. And so I, I took a season to really begin to heal my soul and understand this condition. Now where I am, Um, fast forward so many years into my healing, I understand that narcissism is a personality disorder. And so I'm dealing with somebody um, who has something that's perhaps a little bit beyond their conscious control. Can he do something about it? That's a whole other different question, but that's not, doesn't give me any power whether or not he does or doesn't. So I was able to put that space between my father uh, and and me, and I no longer owned his actions as a personal rejection or insult of me. And so now the relationship that I have is I'm I'm um, older, 
and I'm much more grounded is I know what I'm dealing with. I expect nothing from my father. I still, you know, have uh, monitored uh, relations with him because he's never going to be that father that I've seen in, in other men. He's he's just not. And I have a choice to either have no father whatsoever or to accept the father that I've been given on this journey that I probably chose in the first place and, um, and have uh, the best relationship possible with somebody who is love handicapped. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm dealing with as I have somebody who is love handicapped. I have somebody who, um, you know, narcissists are very selfish and does my dad want to hear about my day? Uh, how's your day, honey? And I will begin to tell him and he'll say, oh, yeah, that reminds me of this, my life and me and blah, blah, blah. blah. And you're left like I was hoping to share my life with you. They don't want to. But I no longer cry. I no longer ache. I just take a deep breath. And I'm like, that's just narcissism. I'm not going to take it personal. And, And I have learned to have as good of a relationship as possible with a parent who has narcissism. And if and when he begins to act, you know, I'm not going to use the word naughty or nasty. I'll just say naughty. When he starts to act naughty and do his shenanigans, I exit. I just say, oh, gosh, I got to go. You know, I love you. And I'm out. I, I will not be the audience when a narcissist begins to perform on their stage. And I will not take my role in the production Um, with him or with any narcissist that tries to perform it's not easy you know I'm still learning how to hold on to myself with it and I've been in my recovery for a long time especially when these people have been close to you and you love them yeah I can imagine I mean it's one thing when you're in a state of having say a a boyfriend someone you haven't married you know someone that that you could easily just be like bye you know and there's no kids involved and things of that nature but when there's there's deep roots like family. I mean, I think for a lot of people, this is the tricky part of being able to extract themselves, I would probably say in some cases and free themselves. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it is an extraction. That's an actually a really good word that you used. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. And so you have your your course you were mentioning I would love to start talking about that so folks can understand what they can do to help in their own recovery process because it's so important to have someone who's been there guide you through would you tell us a little bit more about your year-long program and and all of the 48 planks and things of that nature oh my goodness okay so I have a program it's built on my own personal recovery journey and the program is called reclaiming me you can find out more about the program by visiting my website, drtracy.tv, if you wanted to follow along right now with what I'm saying. So it's built on my own personal recovery program. There are six modules in the program, and it begins from the, be- the beginning of the story, which is, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, the next module goes into what happened to me, and it, I identify the 13 most common abuses or shenanigans of the narcissist, and you can understand what they look, feel, and sound like, and more important, how living within the environment of those chaotic behaviors affects you. 
Um, the next module after that, um, it's called Love and the Narcissist. And I, and I had break that down to five different classes from, you know, why do we stay? Why do we go back for more? Why is the narcissist attract to empath? What is an empath? You know, all the feely people out there, which uh, narcissists love feelers. Um, so we, we go through um, all the dynamics of the, the love addiction and the spiritual addictions that go within narcissistic relationships. And then we move on to something that um, is very, very, very important in the recovery journey. Most people who go in for narcissistic abuse trauma um, have been diagnosed with PTSD. And so they go for treatment for PTSD, but what they will find is that PTSD treatment only partially works. Why? Because narcissistic abuse trauma victims have something called CPTSD, and you need to be treated for CPTSD, not PTSD, in order to authentically heal. So we have a whole uh, module based on how to heal from CPTSD. Uh, then after that, we uh, it's a class about it's a it's a module that is called when no contact is not an option, and these are all for the people who, okay, you've done your work, you're getting better, you're getting stronger, you understand you're with a narcissist, you understand the shenanigans that they do, you understand how to hold on to yourself. What if this person is around? What if I'm co-parenting with this person? What if I don't have the financial means to leave right now? You know, and because that was tough on me is that, you know, when the professionals would all say, well, you just need to leave. Well, no contact. And I was like, that's, that's a big ask for me right now. I'm not there. And so then I would feel like I would fail at therapy and then end up getting in a worse situation instead of learning skills to be able to hold on to myself um, until life presents different choices for me. And then the final um, module is life after narcissism. And we talk about um, how what it feels like to go through divorcing a narcissism, how to learn to start dreaming again, how to learn to start loving again, making sure that your choices for future love are better and, and how to make sure that you don't build an altar um, in honor of the losses that you've taken from the narcissist, but instead learning how to birth a whole new life. And the thing about recovering from narcissistic abuse, and it's kind of a bittersweet, is that the person that you once were uh, before the trauma is gone. And you have to reinvent yourself as somebody who has a totally different perspective and um, understanding of what humans can do to each other. But there is still love and hope and happiness beyond narcissistic abuse trauma. The program is called Reclaiming Me, and it's about the journey from narcissistic abuse to self-love. So huge. So huge. And I think there's a lot of people that do want to reclaim themselves. I mean, myself included. If you don't, you know, at this point, I mean, I don't know what else to say, because I think it's it's something that all of us are on a mission to, to discover. And, and whether it involves narcissism or not, I can see benefits to reclaiming yourself at any stage. Again. Oh my gosh. Well, you would be surprised that, you know, um, narcissism is around us. It's, it's everywhere. And, and most of us, when we look at our, our self-love wounds, they come from somebody who was operating in narcissistic tendencies. 
doesn't mean that that person is necessarily a narcissist, but any type of an abuse is a narcissistic behavior. It's a selfish behavior that rips something from another person to service another person. And so this program is effective because, you know, you might not be with a narcissist, but the trauma wound that is inside of you definitely happened because of a, of a narcissistic uh, trauma abuse and to go in and heal with that understanding like, oh, that's what happened to me. It has a name. And it my my, you know, the extra weight that I'm carrying or or the dizziness that I'm feeling or my lack of boundaries. Oh my gosh, it, it has a root and it has a name. And so this class really benefits uh, anyone who is trying to heal their 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 abuses and one of the things that I ask whenever I go to a public speaking event and I'm speaking on this, I ask people, let me ask you a question. Have, have any of you ever been hurt by the words or actions of another person? Well, which one of us can say, no, me, never, we can't. All of us have been hurt and traumatized mostly by the people we love. And, um, but it doesn't mean that we have to remain hostage to it. That's huge. That's huge. Gosh, Dr. Tracy Kimball, thank you so much for coming on and talking. I mean, all things, yes, narctionary, but also, and, and that's, by the way, we should talk about your book here um, so that folks can find that too, because I think that is also another big thing. So before we sign off, tell us where can they find your book too? Same website or anywhere else that they look for books? Oh, thank you for asking about my book. So my book is called <clears throat> The Narctionary, and it is a dictionary for narcissistic abuse recovery. And I started this book because when I went into my recovery, I was exposed to terms and sayings that I had never heard of. And I had such a hard time remembering what they were, you know, like gaslighting. What's a gaslight? That's a lamp, you know, or word salad. <laughs> Or, or, you know, the dark triad or, or like all these different things that I, I had, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Breathy, who's that? What? And so I started just this on my cell phone, actually, this little file that I would just write down all the different things that I learned. And um, it was about uh, eight months ago, I was talking with a client and she just coming into the awareness. Oh my God, I'm, I'm with a narcissist relationship. And what is this? And you know, what's happening to me? And she would tell me a situation. I would say, Oh yeah, that's, that's a word salad. She's like, that's a what? He said, yeah, you're being word salad. What does that mean? And I, oh yeah. Well, that's called future faking. What's future faking? You know? Oh, that's a faux apology. What's a faux apology? You know? And she said, you should put out a, a manual to all of us newbies so that you can, at least we could know what we're dealing with. And I said, oh my gosh. So I went into my little file that I had and I thought of a story that my mom told me when I was young that she said, you know, Tracy, when our pain doesn't have a name, it's like fighting a ghost in that we can't grab a hold of it and bring it into our life and heal it and mend it um, and repair it. Um, or in the state of it being not good for us, push it out of our life. But when it does have a name, we can grab a hold of it and we can examine and look at it and mend it and heal it and mold it. Or if it doesn't best serve us, 
push it out of our life. And so narctionary is all about giving name to the world of narcissism, narcissistic abuse, narcissistic abuse, trauma, and narcissistic abuse recovery. And it's, uh, it's not meant to substitute therapy, but it is such a great manual to go through. And all you have to do is just read the words and and I even have a self-assessment test in it in the back that you can see how much abuse you've been exposed to. You can see how many of the shenanigans are being used on you. You can uh, identify how many trauma wounds you have. And you can also see how far along you are in the recovery journey. The more you check means the, the more it's happened to you. And it's just a great way to start understanding the world. <laughs> that's I say, the world of a zone that has a language of its own. And uh, that's what Narctionary is all about. And you can get it on Amazon.com. And it spells just like dictionary, only with N-A-R-C, Narctionary. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's a great, I mean, I, I kind of did a little peek on it just to see what kind of words were in there. And I too, the gaslighting thing just keeps coming up and up again. And I, I had to look it up really don't know what that means. So I think this could be absolutely fabulous for folks just to understand a little bit more of the the words that are out there and, and exploring, you know, how narcissism may be affecting them and, and kind of, as, as I like to say, you know, ripping out open wounds and, and keeping you stuck in fight or flight. So yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, Dr. Tracy. This has been fabulous and I've learned so much. Oh, I'm so glad. And thank you for having me on and to all your listeners, uh, circle back around the Reclaiming Me classes. They're only $10 a class. It's my heart and passion to help women heal. It's a woman's only environment, just to let you know. It's safe, it's it's encouraging, it's sanity, and it takes place twice a week. You can find it at drtracy.tv under the Reclaiming Me button. And everybody who attends, um, put Janine's name down and that you heard the interview and we'll give you a free pass to attend the class for the first time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Health Junkies, are you feeling just off, feeling like you're aging a little bit faster than you want to and wondering what in the world is up? Hey, I might have some answers for you and some direction. If you want to chat with me, I am offering complimentary calls right now. You can head over to Dr. Spelled Out, J-K-R-A-U-S-E-N-D.com. Take my quiz, click on the schedule a chat, and let's talk and see if we can get you in the right direction. And if I'm able to help you, I'm going to let you know. Otherwise, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for. Head over to drjkrausnd.com and check it out now. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.